welcome to Bruno's Birthday Blowout. I'm your host, Angelo DeCipio, joined by the happy haberdasher, Dan, the man, Sebastiano. This is Wrestling with the Future with a twist. Tonight, we're celebrating the life, the legacy, and the memories of the champ. There's only one champ. Other, any other facsimile is a fake. Right, Nikki? Amen. Amen is right. And tonight, we give a big salute and an amen, and let's remember our boy, Bruno. Joining me tonight, the man who literally wrote the book, Sal Carrente. The book is Bruno San Martino, the autobiography of wrestling's living legend. Joining Sal Carrente is uh, one of Bruno's very best friends from the beginning to the end, Mr. J.J. Dillon, illustrious leader of the Four Horsemen. Also Hello, joining us is a lifelong friend and a man who was called his protege. This guy... Uh, I watched, actually watched the celebrated Bruno's birthday today by watching Larry Zabisco get his butt handed to him. Larry, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you. You're quite welcome, brother. <laughs> and of course, my dear friend Nikita Brezhnikov. Nikki, how you doing, babe? Always happy to be here, especially on this day with all this great lineup. My man, too much. That's beautiful. What a treat. And last but not least, we have. You talk about a living legend. This guy, truly a living legend. The incomparable Mr. Energizer Bunny himself. The iconic, the legendary Dominic Danucci. Dominic, how you doing, baby? Oh, no bad, sir. No, we, um, you know, the day, this morning, actually, when I get up, uh, I look at my book and I saw... Bruno name there, and I said, oh, my God. Uh, and then I cry. Uh, yeah, well, I remember the last time you were on the show, Dominic, we talked about Bruno a little bit, and I know you got a little emotional back then. It's a, it's a hard thing not to, to get emotional when you talk about Bruno because he really was kind of the last of the good guys. Uh, uh, the, yes, probably yes, the yes. last of the real guys in wrestling. And uh, look, uh, we can uh, crisscross things, but you know, find another man like Bruno. Bruno was honest, and he was a good wrestler. He, he drew a lot of money for Vince McMahon <laughs> and everything else. Uh, Absolutely. But now, you can. You can't forget men like that, okay? So, absolutely. Now you're yeah. you're joined by uh, a lot of our friends tonight, and we all know each other. We've all been here before. Um, let's bring in uh, the guy who uh, really kind of put this thing together, Sal Carrenti. Sal, uh, you first met Bruno when, and under what circumstance? Well, um, I was actually contacted by uh, Blackjack Brown, who used to run the wrestling gab line, and uh, Bruno was a part of the gab line, and I was at the time a troubleshooting referee going to a lot of different places uh, from Vern Gagne and Carlos Colon and everything, and he asked me to be a part of it, so we met over the phone, um, and we spoke a lot every, every week for quite a while, and then at some point, Joel Goodhart, who used to run, I believe it was Tri-State Wrestling in Pennsylvania, wanted yeah. to put a match together. Um, at the time, 
um, some guy named Zabisco, I think, was the AWA world champion. And they wanted David San Martino to wrestle this guy. And they thought it would be interesting if David's father was in his corner. And uh, the Zabisco guy was going to be managed by Paul Heyman. And uh, they couldn't get Bruno to do it. So they asked me to talk to Bruno to do it. And between me and his son pushing him so they could have a main event, um, you know, that was it. And that's where we met in person for the first time. And Larry, of course, and, and David had a great match. And yeah, um, the, the biggest thing I remember about that night, Bruno wanted, it was important to Bruno that everybody else shined except him. And this is a true story. Um, Paul Heyman only grew up um, a few miles from me in Yonkers. At that time, I was still living in New York. Um, or going back and forth to New York a lot. I guess I was maybe gone by then. But Paul was driving me back from Philadelphia to my home in Yonkers literally the entire time in the car, from when we got there to when we got to Yonkers, which is at least two hours, he complained because Bruno refused to hit him. Um, he, he wanted to come in and take a bump for Bruno so bad he couldn't stand it. But all Bruno wanted to do was make sure the young guys shined. And it's That's something right. I never forgot. And the uh, the aforementioned Zabisco guy happens to be with us tonight. Larry, uh, what are your recollections, uh, your memories of of meeting Bruno? Under what circumstance did you meet the man? And uh, uh, and did he um, did he immediately take to you, or did he think you were being a pest? You know what? It was uh, interesting. My mother worked at Saint Sebastian's, that little church with the school, Catholic grade school. And I was I, I graduated from there at eighth grade. My mother knew I was a big Bruno fan, and she got me Bruno's address, which was a couple miles from where my our house was. And when I was sixteen, I would drive. You know, when I went that direction, I would take a couple of turns and drive past Bruno's house. And one day, one summer day through these big hedges he had around his yard you could hardly see but one day i caught a glimpse of him standing by his pool getting a suntan and i went oh my god bruno's right there i mean he was my hero i was 16. so for some reason i stopped the car and i started crawling through these hedges because i couldn't help myself i had to go meet him and I wasn't like afraid because he was such a good guy and beloved, you know, but I, I just had to go meet him. So I, I walked up to him and he's looking at this 16 year old pimply kid who's covered now with thorns and leaves who just crawled through his hedges. And I was very respectful and we had a nice, you know, not a real long talk. I really, it's kind of hard to remember, but then I did that a couple other times and, uh, we start talking, and Bruno was impressed with my amateur record, and he slowed down. He was getting a little older already and doing the weekend shows at the big places. So he invited me, and we started working out in his basement together, where I did the same workout he did, which is kind of why I got that same kind of big chest, big trap look. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I, I got up yeah, after a couple of years of working with Bruno. I was benching 465 and only weighed 240. And Bruno, who's probably already in his 40s with beat up elbows and stuff, but, you know, was still benching 505. And he was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, but that's how it started. I kind of walked in. When you want to hear something really 
I mean, the way like life means, you know, it's meant to happen, it happens. At St. Sebastian Church that my mom worked at, when I was like 13 years old and we first moved to Pittsburgh, we went to church one day, and I'm sitting in a pew in St. Sebastian's Church, and I look next to me, and I see this big broken nose, this big head, the ears, I'm going, oh my God, I'm sitting next to Bruno. I freaked out. I freaked out. <laughs> I didn't I didn't go to communion because I didn't want to move. I wanted to stay and sit there. <laughs> and and after mass I chased him down the road with a Sunday program and he gave me an autograph. This is before I crawled through the hedges a few years. But oh this, my god. This, so your first meeting of Bruno was breaking and entering into his, uh, his his house basically. Well that's the first time I met him and talked, but I met him at church when I was like thirteen. But the weird thing is that was the first time I ever met him. But right. when his funeral happened, it was also in Saint Sebastian Church. And I was sitting in the pew. So that was the same that was the first place I saw him. And that was the exact last place that I was next to Bruno. And it really was an emotional, yeah, it was just the strangest meant-to-be thing. You know, you well, uh, you know what, Larry? That's a great segue into to something that happened on this date 21 years ago. Uh, Bruno's birthday happens to be the final day that the Gorilla Monsoon was with us. Gorilla Monsoon passed away 21 oh years God. ago today. Wow. Talk about strange twist of irony. Yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. There's another I know. guy who uh, has an interesting story about meeting Bruno. Um, and that man is, uh, interestingly enough, you would never think to associate him with Bruno San Martino. Because his name is J.J. Dillon, and he is associated with a uh, a motley crew of roughnecks called the Four Horsemen. And uh, and Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about J.J. Dillon? Now, where did you first uh, hear the name J.J. associated with Bruno? With Bruno? Uh, yeah. The first, first time I ever saw those two names together. Jeez. Um, <laughs> honestly, from where I was growing up, we, uh, we only got the... Uh, Crockett and Southern wrestling on the tapes. So the four horsemen and Bruno were on the cover of all the tapes I used to rent from the video store. You were deprived as a child. <laughs> JJ well, Dillon, not, welcome not back we to the show, brother. Uh, walk me through your first meeting with Bruno. How did you uh, become a lifelong friend of this, this character? Well, I uh, was a fan since I was like 15, 16 years old. I had a fan club back then for Johnny Valentine, and I was born and raised in Trenton, New Jersey, so um, I went to a lot of the uh, local uh, events in the, in the Northeast. And then I went to uh, attended college. I graduated from Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania. And uh, while I was in college, uh, Ray Fabiani, who promoted Philadelphia, uh, had a, a studio, a live studio, well, it was, it was actually taped, but he had a weekly one-hour television show that aired on a Saturday, and they taped it on a Wednesday night at the NBC studio on Walnut Street in Philadelphia. And I was uh, uh, friends with a guy 
in Reading, Pennsylvania, that that used to go down to Philadelphia, and they they had a smaller ring that uh, where they were able to set up on the stage in the basement of the NBC studio. And I would go down to uh, from Reading uh, with the guy and and help him set set the ring up. And the ring was yeah. just it was like a small theater in the basement. And the ring would sit on this, just fit on the stage perfectly, and the hard camera was all the way in, in the back. It was like a small, uh, it was like a, sm- a small theater, and um, you know, I, I would just go on and and take one of the ring jackets in the corner, wore a white T-shirt, and long story short, uh, the the referees each week for the one-hour show were assigned by the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission. And one week uh, I'm there, and for whatever the reason, they're ready to to, uh, to tape the show, and uh, no commission referee showed up. And of course, I'd been hanging around for years, and and you know everybody knew who I was by name, and and so anyway, they're ready to do the show. They don't have a referee, and they thought, what are we going to do? We got to do the show. We got to tape it and have it. And so they thought, well, who can we get the referee? And they all started looking around. And all the eyes pointed to me, and they said, can you do it? And I just instinctively, from having been a fan all those years, knew that I, I could referee and knew what the referee's job was. And the only instructions they gave me was that the, the ring was right up at the edge of the stage, and they had a handheld camera there, but the hard camera was in the back. And they said, so when you're in the ring, you just walk three sides of the ring. Do not walk across the front of the ring, which would then be in the shot of the, of the hard camera. So that wasn't too much that I had to worry about. I just would walk three three sides around. So Gorilla Monsoon came over from uh, New Jersey, and he would run the show uh, uh, every week. And so I got to know Bruno because I would go to all the, the shows that Ray Fabiani would promote either at the – uh, Philadelphia Arena or Convention Hall. They oh, would have a, a, a show once a month. And of course, uh, in 1962, Bruno became champion. And uh, that's when uh, one week at the at the studio, they needed a no no referee showed up, and so they put me in, and I refereed the whole hour, and just instinctively knew what to do. And they all they all said what a great job I did, and so they uh, managed to get me uh, on the, uh, the commission referee list. And so I started, uh, you know, going to the, to the uh, uh, live arena shows, too, and most of the referees, because it was a commission uh, deal, most of the referees in Pennsylvania were not actually wrestling fans. It was a political thing where any time that they True. would referee... They get paid a hundred bucks, so yeah. <laughs> uh, the, everything was fine. <laughs> and so, one at the uh, same thing at at the live events in the arena. And so, the minute that they had a situation where they had to work some kind of return match out of uh, out of one of the house shows, and they had to involve a situation where there was going to be some steam on the referee. All the commission referees that were normally there picking up that $100 every time they refereed, 
oh, somebody had a bad back, somebody had this, and no, nobody wanted to do a, a finish that was controversial where yeah. the fans would be upset at them. So sure. they thought, well, what are we going to do? And they looked at me and they said, well, will you referee? Absolutely. I said, I, I have no problem with it. Just tell me what you want me to do. And so I, uh, as a result, uh, really endeared myself with the wrestlers because, you know, if it was okay just getting a win on TV, but the minute that you had to do something where, you know, doing something controversial or something where yeah. the fans in, in Philadelphia, they 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 would really get uh, they would get hot. And they were, that's a rough you know, the crowd. The were, were afraid to be involved in controversial things, and yeah. and so at the arena, if there was a, a hot finish, nobody wanted to do it, and I would do it, and uh, the guys always took care of me because if they were going to have something where they worked to return, where either the referee took took a bump or did something where yeah. the, the heel used a foreign object or something and the referee didn't see it, and the fans, certain amount of the heat, uh, you know, is going to go on the referee for the fans always blame them for not having, you know, eyes in the back of their head. And oh, sure. like in Philadelphia, if you did a controversial finish uh, and, and, and getting from the ring back to the dressing room could be an adventure too. And the, the police would come up the aisle, I remember, and the wrestlers, uh, and, and of course Bruno was the, was, the, was the main one. When I, do, when I did something where you know a, a certain amount of the heat went on me because I didn't have eyes behind my back and the fans would be mad at me, you know, the, the guys would say, okay, uh, the fans are upset. Wait till the cops start up the aisle from the back, and then they would tell me when we say go, you jump down to the floor and start up the aisle towards the cops, and do not turn around. We've got your back. And so uh, <coughs> I ended up, uh, you know, getting involved with all the controversial finishes, and oh sure, and that was uh, the foundation of uh, of, a, of a friendship with. Uh, with Bruno, and a couple of times, like uh, they, uh, he, Bruno finally had a uh, uh, his deal was usually with whether it was Jesse Ortega or or Professor Tanaka. The, they they would have uh, matches where there was a, the first match, then there would be a DQ or something. They'd bring the match back in three or four weeks, no DQ, and then finally. You know, they would have some kind of a must-be-a-finish thing. And when it came to Kowalski, they wanted to, to they didn't want to have the thing end in in, in three shows because, the, the, I mean, it sold out and they had to turn people away. Yeah, well, so, I'll tell you what, J.J., uh, uh, along that same line, the first match I ever saw in my life, uh, my uncle took me to see, uh, was at the Philadelphia Arena, well, 45th and Market, it was Bruno and Killer Kowalski, as a matter of fact. And that was the first time I met Bruno. And that was the night that I uh, I met an interesting guy named Spiros Arion. Yeah, I remember him, too. I remember Spiros. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. He didn't like kids. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so anyway, uh, uh, I, I, would, I would do the hot finishes. And the guy, the wrestlers, you know, the other referees would, you know, didn't want to do it. And so, in order to do something controversial, to be able to bring the match back, 
and eventually they would bring it back, and and finally they would bring in, they would do the third or fourth, and to get the fourth match after uh, the third time, and and I would be the referee the third time, and it ended up, uh, uh, you know, somebody would get a chair, throw it in the ring, and and then whoever it was would grab the chair, throw it to go to hit Bruno. I get hit with the chair, down I go, knocked out, I'm bleeding, and they would empty the dressing room, and here the fans are thinking this is the blow-off match where they're going to have a finish, and, you know, the the dressing room emptied, and they they pull Bruno and whoever his opponent was apart and take them back to the dressing room. They came and put me on a stretcher, take me back, and the fans are all looking at each other. Well, there was supposed to be a... Uh, you know, it had to be a finish. What you know, what happened? And then they would bring it back, and they would get a fourth uh, sellout out of it. And then they would bring in like uh, one of the old boxers, Tony Galento or somebody, as the oh troubleshooting God, yeah. referee. Sure. So uh, it was a good deal. It was a good deal for me. But you know, the other referees wouldn't do it. I did because uh, I was a fan, and and eventually to, to become a wrestler myself, which eventually happened as well but that was the basis of the foundation uh, of the friendship with that i had with bruno and that's the underlying storyline here jj we all started off before we got into the business we were fans of the business and none bigger than my next guest my friend my buddy my compadre a guy that spends a lot of time here nikita brezhnikov nikki uh, you and i are of the same age bracket Yes. Um, so I know that uh, because of our age, you couldn't have met uh, Bruno before probably the age of 16 or 17. Um, I'm just, of course, guessing. But when did you meet him and how far into your career or his did you finally meet the guy? Well, let me back up one second. What J.J. was talking about. We all remember Dick Worley, the Philadelphia referee. Yeah. Oh my God! TV. Sure. Dick told me he used to carry a gun for that same reason. He's like, yeah. I John, took the John heat. Stanley was another. John Stanley was another referee from New Jersey that was uh, very well yes. known. Yes, because Dick said, yeah. you know, when I got to get to that car, I'm on my own, and they're blaming me for the title change or whatever happened. So he's like, you know, I was afraid for my life. So yeah, it uh, it definitely the heat was on the reps. But by the friend, way, uh, Nikki, his uh, license plate read TV ref. TV ref. Oh, yeah. Dick was, uh, <laughs> he, he was a fan. Just like you're saying, everybody started as a fan. For yeah. me, but the first time JJ, I This is JJ, and, and, the, and the, the show tonight is about Bruno. So I have a Bruno, uh, a, a couple of Bruno stories, but one in particular where uh, back in those days, because the, the referees were still assigned by the athletic commission, and you would referee, and at the end of the night, you would get handed uh, $100 cash, which that was a lot of money in those days. And I was a kid in college, so that, that $100 was, and you're talking about uh, 1962, so wow. you look at what the $100 was back then would be like it's 500 800 maybe $1,000 now yep. in terms of the value of that, of that $100. <laughs> and, uh, wow. But anyway, I would do the controversial finishes, and I remember with Bruno, 
I, I would do something, and then I saw him later in the week. I think I went to Reading, Pennsylvania. They had an outdoor show, and I didn't get assigned as a referee, but I went to the show because I was a fan, and I would go watch anyway. And so Bruno was uh, Bruno was there, and he, uh, he he pulled me off, and he thanked me for you know what I did in Philly to get uh, the fourth match out of it, and he said to me, he said, well. You know, I, I hope they took good care of you. And I said, well, you know, the, I normally get $100, which is to me is still a lot of money. And, you know, they hit me with a chair and I bled and they carried me from the ring on a stretcher. And I said, they, they still paid me uh, $100. And I said, I, I never said anything. You know, I thought, well, this is really kind of something special, I thought. But uh, they gave me the $100 and didn't say anything more. And so Bruno told me, he said, I'm glad you didn't say anything. And he said, do not say anything. Leave it up to me. And I, and I, and what happened then was that Bruno went to Vince McMahon because they would go every Thursday down to Washington, D.C., to Vince's office, and that's where the guys would get the balance of their money for the rest of the weeks, and that's, that's where they would tape a, a show from uh, uh, the, the, the arena for TV and, and so anyway, Bruno goes to Vince McMahon and says, you know, that I had done this great job and that the referees by the commission got a hundred bucks and uh, that, you know, I got, you know, got carried out of the ring on a stretcher, was bleeding, and that they gave me that same hundred dollars and nothing more was said. And Bruno told me to make sure you don't say something. And he, he, Bruno then says to Vince, he said, I'm sure that you're going to see that this was taken care of and made right. To which Vince said to Bruno, well, of course, you know, I just wasn't aware of it. Let me look into it. So uh, the next show was, I think, in like uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania. And I wasn't yeah. assigned that night, but I went down to the matches. And I remember Phil Zacco was there, and he saw yep. me, and his eyes, he said, come here, kid. He takes me around the corner, goes in his wallet into his pocket, picked out a roll of cash and counted out another, counted out $250 in cash and handed it to me and said, Vince appreciates what you did and wants you to have this. And to me, that was like a God, that was like a small fortune. And, uh, yeah. and again, it, it, it was, uh, it was because Bruno Sammartino said, let me take care of this. I'm glad you didn't say anything. He went to Vince and that's how I got taken care of. And I, uh, not that it was a matter of, uh, of strictly um, monetary, Bruno just always treated, he, he treated not just me, but he treated everybody that way. He was. Hey, you know what, J.J., I have a feeling. He didn't have an ego. He, he was respectful to everybody. Yeah, I was just going to say, I have a feeling also, J.J., that uh, that, that was probably the last you heard of it. You, I, I can't imagine... Bruno using that to like rub it in your face or say, here's why I did this for you. And now you're going to do something for me. I can't see that happening. Um, no, the only, the only thing was he, that uh, Zacco uh, saw me and gave me the extra, I got the hundred at the show and he gave me another 250 at the Reading show, which I just was there. Bruno yeah. was not on the card that night. The next time I saw Bruno, Bruno, saw me and he said uh um has anybody talked to you and i said 
Yeah, I said at the Reading show, Phil Zacco called me over, and I said, and I, and and I was given another two hundred fifty dollars, and I said, that God, that's a lot of money. And he said, Were you happy? Were you satisfied with that? I said, Satisfied. I said, I can't thank. I said, I know the only reason that that happened was because you spoke up, and I I heard after that 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 Bruno a lot of times, you know. And, and this is, you know, I'm hearing it secondhand, but that <coughs> they would say to Bruno, like Vince McMahon and all that, say, well, why, why did you speak up? He said, we, you know, you're, you're the champion. We pay you extremely well. And he said, you know, how come you're going to bat for these other guys and, and, and speaking up for them? And Bruno, you know, made it like it was no big deal and said because it was the right thing to do. And that tells you Absolutely. everything you need to know about Bruno. So Nikita, yeah. my friend Nikita Brezhnikov. Yes, sir. Talk to me, brother. Well, the first time I met Bruno, it was for a Dino Sana show. I think Larry will remember that name. And Sounds familiar, yeah. yeah. Dino used to run a lot around Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, that area. So we I know were Dino Sana very well. Do the show in the Pittsburgh. So I'm with Nikolai. I'm going to manage him. We go up there. And Nikolai loved Bruno. Nikolai, that was Bruno's idol. And I'm going to yeah. say it now. I've said it before, maybe to a few people. But I really believe when Bruno died, that's what led. Because then a couple of months later, we lose Nikolai. I think that took a piece of him with him. And that night we meet Bruno and uh, Bruno's doing the TV commentary with one of Dino Sana's kids and uh, I said oh Bruno I, I love you put me over a little bit he said oh, don't worry you know he he did like a million dollars but the other thing I remember the most before the show started I could hear here he I hear that voice coming down the hall and it's like oh man that's Bruno I, I know that voice man you can't forget it but he went to every new person that was there, every kid, every veteran, shook hands, yeah. hi, Bruno San Martino. He did that with everybody. And it's like, that's class right there, man. What were your uh, your impressions of this guy? Now, here's a, a, a Bruno's been described by a lot of people, Nikki, as larger than life. Yeah. Now, you know, in, in fullness, he was uh, like 5'10", maybe 5'11", but, you know, a very wide, imposing guy. Um, you know, certainly nobody's pushover. Uh, were you intimidated the first time you met him? Are you respectful? What, what was all of the above? Me, all of the, up the mindset of a young Nikita Brezhnikov back in the day. I felt like the luckiest son of a bitch on the face of the earth. I'll tell you, and it was like I don't believe this. It, it's if you say dreams don't come true, I'm proving it wrong. They do. Here I am, looking into the eyes of this guy, an idol that you watch, I watch so many times. But I tell you what, I used to hear from Johnny Valiant, Nick, the strength of Bruno, because Johnny used to say he's like a gorilla. We had a yeah. match, and Sal remembers this, it was a stadium in New Jersey. It was Nikolai against Dominic. Bruno was the ref. I'm there managing Nikolai. I got hit by Bruno at the end. He tried to be nice and easy, and he was. But I can only imagine this man in his prime, he could kill you. I'm sure yeah. he could kill you with no problem whatsoever. He was a gorilla for sure, man. Ask Buddy Rogers. <laughs> yeah. The man. Yes, sir. Take it away, brother. 
um, you know, uh, Mr. Zabisco, before we started recording, you were telling a story about uh, a warning you gave to some of the current wrestlers with their style and everything. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah I'm curious. It, you know, I'm, I'm only 37, so most of my experience with Bruno comes from old tapes and everything. But there's a lot of wrestling fans today under the age of 30, teenagers in their 20s, that are still huge fans of Bruno, even though his style is absolutely nothing like what's popular today. I'm curious, since you were you know, talking about, about the comparisons, what is it about Bruno's style, his presence, whatever it is in the ring, that still resonates with fans today, even though it's nothing like anybody that's popular in the current market? Yeah, you know, it's a, it, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting because I'm surprised how many young people know who I am from that generation. But the thing about Bruno was when you watched him on TV, he, he was, he was really a real guy. He was being himself. And the only reason he was such a big star was because, and and people, you know, have a hard time realizing this today because of the business in the world. People don't realize how truly loved he was. The fans, I mean, really loved Bruno. When Bruno fell down with blood, people in the arena got heart attacks and died. I mean, he was probably the most truly beloved wrestler ever. Well, I'll tell you what, Larry, when you hit him with the chair, I tried to find out where you lived. Oh, people tried (laughs) to kill me. I, I mean, I didn't realize... I didn't realize, you know, the amount of hate that would come upon me. I mean, wow. Well, that, tells me, that tells me one thing. Let's, let me talk to you about that. The fact that you got so much hate talks about how much he was loved. It well, had to it. come People, from somewhere. It did. People truly loved him. Today on TV, I mean, you say, oh, this guy flies around, this guy, but they don't love the wrestlers today. Like, you know, they don't even say wrestlers, they say performers. But people truly loved Bruno. I mean, it didn't matter if you were an Italian or, a, you know, Polak or a black guy, white guy, brown guy, yellow guy, red guy, whatever the hell it you know. Every, he was. He was truly loved. He was truly loved. But, Larry, what the thing that made that so special was the fact that we watched since 1974, you at his side, and we was like, oh, you know, I because I was a kid back then, I'm watching it, I'm enjoying it. And it's like, you know, here's Larry with Bruno, that's great. Then when you turn on him, it's like, man, that son of a bitch. We couldn't believe it. Yeah. And that's what made <laughs> oh. it 10 times the heat. Hey, Larry, and real quick, the first match you had at the Spectrum, it was March 1st, 1980. <clears throat> what did they estimate? 10,000 were turned away? 10,000? Turned away. Oh yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was amazing. I mean, we, you know, for those days, records were set. I mean, they raised the prices of you know the tickets. Thousands were turned away from Shea Stadium. I mean, it, it was yeah. it was unheard of for the time, and it was again how loved Bruno was because he was retired. He was doing the broadcasting, and I knew in my heart, if anybody could get Bruno back in the ring for something you know, they would be a big star. I mean, and so I, I took the shot because I was kind of labeled, hey, Bruno's protege, what's his name? And and then, you know, it took some time to talk to him, but 
but it, uh, it it kind of backfired a little bit because I didn't realize how hated I would be. I mean, but uh, that was what gave me the big break, you know. Otherwise, who knows? Larry, so I this, heard a story about is, uh, you and Bruno um, conspiring together to to put the screws to to old man McMahon. Um, some piece of business that. Uh, that Junior wanted you and Bruno to do, and uh, this was that the uh, the old man was still around at the time. Um, Bruno said uh, you know, he wasn't going to do this, and and uh, somebody wanted you to do something. And uh, I, I the uh, what I heard was, oh, really? This is what he wants. Well, we'll see, and we'll uh, we'll change. The, basically, we'll change the uh, the script up on him. Do you know anything about that? What was said? Who was supposed to do what? No, not really. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, the, the, the weird part for me was, you know, I mean, Bruno was Bruno. He was a big star, retired. And I, I was still kind of a young kid. I was a 26, 27, you know, with that. And uh, the only thing with Vince McMahon Sr. was, in those days, it was a stereotypical, you know, bad guy, Professor Tanaka or Killer Kowalski or, you know, George Steele. It was a 300-pound, big, scary, brute kind of guy. And when I first approached Vince Sr. to, you know, with this idea, Vince was, you know, he, he didn't see it really happening with me because I wasn't that stereotypical, big, ugly threat kind of guy and yeah. I couldn't blame Vince at the time because you know for some kid to have an idea is one thing but Vince Sr. was the guy that had to pull out his wallet and his checkbook and rent stadium in the garden and all you know but uh, so it was a little bit of a headbutting session to get him to go for it because he was you know, taking a chance of you know if it didn't work yeah. he'd lose his ass but uh, Dominic you still with me once you saw how hot it was, you know, yes. it, it was great. Yes, I'm here. Yes, sir. Dominic, so uh, you and Bruno both came over from the old country, Italy. Um, who came first? Were you here before Bruno, or did he come? No, uh... no, no. Bruno okay. came in. Bruno was young. He was only six or seven years old because he go to school. Because his father came in, he was working uh, somewhere in the mine, and uh, but I came in, I was not, uh, eighteen and a half after the war finished, and uh, right in the forties, forty-three, forty-four, forty, forty-three, we got the the, the soldier, the American soldier, for nine days in that house because we live in a, in a country in a, in a farm, you know. Uh, right, and that's when uh, every time uh, the soldier will come in, first to the German and then the American, and uh, as one man speak the language, and right. then with when the, the the American was there, uh, they was playing baseball and not too far away from the house, and they say to me, "Hey, come on, Dominic, go pick up a bottle of wine," and I go. Around to pick up the wine, and we, I was talking to him, and I said to him one time, I said, you know, I want to go to America, 
And he said, well, good, he said to me, good luck, may you too young. I said, well, in a couple of years, I want to do it. And he gave me the number and address, and I still got him now here. And about three months later, I started to do the paperwork, I want to come over. And when I right. come in and I started to wrestle, amateur, not the professional, amateur, and uh, in Montreal, and then from Montreal, they ship them in uh, Detroit, and, and Cedric, then Calgary, and then Calgary opened the door for me because from Calgary, I go to San Francisco. Right. And I stay one year there. Uh, and after that, another place because of the, they took me to go to Australia. Right. Oh, and yeah. After, yeah. Australia with uh, Jim Barnett. Sure. And um, I stayed one year, and then me and Kowalski, we'd have to leave because of the ticket. Uh, and I go back in San Francisco. My car was in San Francisco for one year. <laughs> so, so uh, <laughs> I go back when I go back to Australia. Um, I not here. Yeah, because, you know, and uh, uh, the second time I go back in San Francisco, and the and the Roy Shire said to me, Dominic, I want to see you. We were doing the television in Sacramento, and he said, I want to talk to you. And I said, private. I said, well, I didn't say anything because I'm, I'm going, to, I'm going on, on, on the television. So he said, uh, Jim Barnett called. But I can't say what he said. Oh, yes, you can. No, 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 no. Oh, no. you said... Dominic, no, you said I, I, from the first show. I want you to say it. Now. <laughs> no, I can't say what you what you said. <laughs> oh. But anyway, so I said to him, I said, "What's the matter?" And he said, "Jim Barnett called me this morning at two o'clock, but he used another words." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he said, uh, "Other words." I, I want Dominic back. So yeah. when he told me. I said, well, I just came in. I want to stay here at least a couple of months, three months in San Francisco. And he said, do you, <laughs> the promoter said, do you understand? He wants you to go back this week. And I said, but well, why? I said, I just left. The other guy that came in there, and he turned red a little bit. He said, he said, damn it. He said, because you know, there are the people, you have to go back. <laughs> so yeah, I said, okay, I'll tell you okay. what, that we talked about. By the way, um, Dominic was on the show a couple of weeks ago. He gave us the R-rated version of that story the first time. So we got the PG version this time. But if you want to hear the R-rated version, Check out our YouTube channel. Just watch the Dominic Danucci episode. <laughs> Nikita and Dan, they popped huge for that one. I'll just say that. 
<laughs> now, Dominic, you went to Australia. Did Bruno follow you over, or did you follow him no, over? No, Bruno, Bruno followed me, but he only came in for, uh, for 20 days. Oh, okay, I got you. You know, and uh, I, when, <laughs> when he came in, I mean, we got a good time. Uh, I can't tell what we did, but but anyway, <laughs> Jim Barnett, I, Jim, I go pick him up. I go pick him up at the airport with the taxi, and yeah. uh, and we go see Jim Barnett. Sure. And Jim Barnett, but he was a good man, not to say uh, talk right. about him because he's gone. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> Jim Barnett came in and said, oh, my boy, is that Bruno? <laughs> yeah. We've heard stories about Jim Barnett. He he sounds like one of the classic characters that are missing from wrestling today. Um, yeah. So, Dominic. Hey, uh, hey, hey Angelo. Yeah. yeah. Before we get off of the gym, Bruno told me a story two or three times about Jim Barnett and Dominic and him in Australia. Yeah. So I think I, I wouldn't mind telling it. So Go ahead. Uh, Bruno, Bruno's over there working with Barnett, and, you know, Bruno and Barnett had some history, and it wasn't the greatest in the world, but he agreed to go over there. Yeah. And he said they were out, and, of course, you know, Bruno and, and the guys over there, they were doing the business was great and everything was good. So um, do you remember Rosemary from the Dick Van Dyke show? No, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, so Rosemarie was over there in, in a restaurant, and uh, the, Bruno, the way Bruno told me the story, they were all sitting there, and as they, you know, getting ready to leave, they um, they walk up to the table, and, and Jim Barnett says, Rosemarie, I'd like you to meet my boys, Bruno and Dominic. <laughs> well, I am not going to forget that. <laughs> Bruno said, Sal, what in the world did she think of us? <laughs> Yeah, when we work out, when we work out, the, the Bruno said to me, said Dominic, just just outside the door, like 15 feet outside, and I started work. He said, boy, I think probably they could they want to think that we like Jim Barnett. We are queer too. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, and you know, Ro Rosemary did our autograph events in L.A. many times, so I can only imagine because she uh, had no filter either. Yeah, uh, I, I had uh, many years ago, many years ago, I actually had an experience with her at a uh, an autograph convention in Atlantic City. She was a, I will say this, she was a uh, a hoot. She was a, a, a real old Hollywood character. And uh, we need more, we need, really, we need a lot more people like Rosemary. No filter, absolutely. Absolutely unfiltered. Right. I so, always thought that was a good story. It just seemed like the right time to tell it. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is J.J. Dillon. I've been enjoying all the conversation. And before I jump off, I, I, I'd like to uh, make one more comment. that I've, I've been around the business. I've been around the business for, for over half a, half a century. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful business that is, you know, basically everything that I have in the way of material things. Uh, I owe to to the wrestling businesses of giving me the opportunity to 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 earn a living and to go places in the world like Australia and Japan that I wouldn't have otherwise in Europe. And uh, one thing that I can say uh, that I, about Bruno Sammartino that 
that uh, I don't know if there's anybody else because it's, it's a tough business and it's hard to go through a lengthy career uh, and my career lasted uh, over half a century and it's hard to have been in the business for that length of time and, and not have somebody who, uh, whether rightfully so or not, you know, doesn't have something nice to say about you. But I can say with all honesty, in my whole time in and around the business, Bruno Sammartino is the one person that being around him for over half a century, I never ever heard ever say anything negative about Bruno Sammartino. That's how, how highly respected he was by anyone and everyone that ever knew him and worked for him. Yes, yes you're right. And that thing you're right, completely affall you. Because Bruno was a, was a man, you know, find him anymore, anywhere. No, no, he was... Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, he, and, and, I, and I, I remember, you know, back, you know, people in the office, you know, and I'm not, uh, you know, talking negative about Vince McMahon, but I, I'm told there was a conversation with Vince and, and Bruno where Vince said to Bruno... We pay you so well because, you know, you're the champion and you've drawn so much money and you deserve everything you get. But you then turn around and, and come in and go to bat for these guys under, underneath of you. And, and, and kind of questioning why, why Bruno did that. In other words, here's this, the biggest, greatest champion we ever had that probably made more money than anybody else. But, he cared enough about other people and the guys that were in the dressing room with him that he would go to bat for them. And if it got back to him that, you know, that they had a good house and, and the guys uh, underneath uh, didn't get what Bruno considered to be a fair payday, he would go to the office and he would stick up for them. And a lot of times the guys would get another check for a show that they never would have seen that money had Bruno Sammartino not spoken up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes, yes. Yes, you, well, you're JJ, right. Well, JJ, thank you yes. so much. I, I really appreciate you, uh, the time you've given us. Uh, JJ, and I've said it before, you've been uh, on the show your third time now. Uh, you have an open invite here uh, anytime you wish for whatever platform you wish Um I think you know that we uh, we respect old school. We are uh, a a caretaker of the history of uh, old school wrestling, and uh, you, my friend, are uh, a welcome guest anytime you want to be here. You mean well, JJ's over that. there, sir? Uh, JJ's yes, over sir. there. Yes. JJ's you at there. home. JJ's at home, Dominic. He's not in the studio. He's at home. I'm at home. I'm at home. Oh, he's at home. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I thought he was there. No, <laughs> but anyway. But uh, well, but I'm I, glad that uh, I'm glad you did this program, and um, there's nobody in the in all the history of the business that, that deserves uh, all the great things that were said about Bruno Sammartino. As I heard tonight, he's the one person, like I said, that. And over half well, a century around the business, I never heard anyone ever say anything negative about Bruno Sammartino. He was a great champion, and he was my friend. Amen. And he was a good man. 
He was a very, very good man. And I knew him. I met him in, in Canada, south of Toronto, about 50 miles. And he said to me, he said, where you come from? And I told him. And I, I said, how about you? Now, where he live, where uh, we live, it was roughly about 75 miles. And he said to me, he said, uh, how'd you get over here? I said, what do you mean? On the boat. Yeah. <laughs> I came in on, on the boat. boat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's oh, hilarious. my God. But Bruno, well, every uh, morning. JJ, do you, do, you, do you have to go, JJ, or can you, can you hang out with us? No, I'm going to jump off, but I want to uh, thank everybody for allowing me to be part of this. And, uh, I mean, I, we could talk for hours and hours about Bruno Oh, my Sanatino. God, bro, you're, yes, you sir. are welcome he was, here anytime. He was a great, I great champion, but he was yes. even a greater human being, and he was my friend. Absolutely. I uh, yeah, I do too, brother. I do too. JJ, JJ bro, you thank feel? you for joining us. I appreciate it. Well, let's say good night to JJ. Thanks so much, JJ. Take good care. Night, JJ. Good night. Good night. Good night. All right. That was a. I'll tell you what. I, I love having JJ. He brings a, uh, a historical perspective you don't get much these days. Larry, you still with me? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been listening. Right. You know, Bruno taught me one thing too that JJ was kind of touching on, but. Bruno felt that it was the, the top guy, you know, the big star's responsibility to make sure all the underneath guys made money. Because in those days, there was no contracts. If we didn't sell tickets, we didn't eat. And exactly. Bruno, I remember, I remember times when I think me and Dominic one time for sure, we had to carry Bruno out of the back seat of a car into the arena so he could get massaged for a couple hours because he was so hurt that yeah. he shouldn't have worked, but he would work to make sure no one would you want refunds that, that the people, yeah, the people would get paid. I mean, Bruno did things when he was hurt to make sure that everybody else on the card would still make money. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he, he, he was the greatest. Yeah. Sally, what you Listen, I'm going to tell you one about Bruno. We left together, Pittsburgh, and we stayed in Hawaii for one night, and we were going to Japan. Now, from the hotel, that's true. And uh, sometime I, I, told, I was telling my wife before she passed away, she was laughing. And Bruno said, okay, I'm going to swim. And uh, it was a wall. He said, on the other side of the wall, it's nice, and I'm going to go over there. And I said, okay. And I stay on this side, which was about four feet uh, high of the wall. That's good for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyway, um, he said, then when I come back, then I'm going to swim a little bit, and then we go have some, something to eat in the morning. And uh, so I said, okay. Now... It's a two-way, left and the right. On the way you go up, is seven steps. On the way down, the seven steps. Now, when you come back, you was wet. And you fall down. 
he fall on his ass all the way down. <laughs> oh God! Oh, oh, he got pissed off. He, he he said he said to me he said if I was by myself today I will turn around and go back home to Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I said wait a minute, wait a minute. I said what are you gonna say? What are you gonna say to the guy over there? You have to call him. <laughs> what are you gonna say? I fall down in the water and I hurt myself. <laughs> I said you. <laughs> I said you. You can't do that. I said you're stronger than that. But he was bleeding too a little bit. <laughs> I said, oh no. my God! I said Sounds no. We're gonna trendy. go. Yes, sir. And by <laughs> you, uh, you wrote the definitive book on Bruno. But my friend Nikita Brezhnikov and I have a little bone to pick with you. Sure, go ahead. Okay. And Nikki and I talked about this on a show we did about wrestling authors and guys telling stories in kayfabe and writing books in kayfabe. Why didn't why why didn't Bruno's story go beyond what was already known? Because I felt like when I read the book, I had heard it all before. Remember, Nikki, when we were talking about that. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, this is what I can tell you about the history of the book. Um, of course, the first book, there were a lot of issues with that. It was, first of all, it was very poorly presented, quite honestly. But beyond that, it was told the way Bruno wanted it told. The only reason we even put another book out in the, about nine, ten years ago was because of personal appearances, fans, because the book was completely out of print, Fans used to have to pay 75, 80, 90, 100 bucks to get a copy of the book for Bruno to sign a personal appearances. Yeah. The, um, the bottom line is, I, quite honestly, I mean, I had to hear about this all the time, and I, I just got tired of hearing about it. So I said, Bruno, why don't I see if I can do something about this? So I was able to do something about it, purchased a few of the books at the $100 price, whatever it was, and uh, got some people to scan it into a computer. Added a few pages, added a few pictures, and just put the book out just to stop all that price gouging on the book. And Bruno was satisfied. One day, I heard Bruno do an interview, and I said, Bruno, you know, you were kind of speaking very openly on this on this interview. And he said, well, Sal, what do you, what do you expect me to do? Everybody else is out there uh, talking and this, that, and the other. He said, I'm not going to look like a jerk. I said, well, then why don't you let me update the book? So... I mean, I don't know what you're comparing it to, but, I mean, quite honestly, I pulled out everything out of the book that treated wrestling like a real competition and replaced it with the stories the way Bruno told them to me. And I um, absolutely respect that. I'll tell you, uh, as far as interviews are concerned, and I think you might you might know the interview I'm referring to, Bruno sat down and did a uh, about a three and a half hour interview with uh, Sean Oliver from Kayfabe Commentaries. Probably the most open and honest interview. Uh, still, by the way, mostly in Kayfabe, but he told it in a way that seemed more realistic. If that makes any sense to you, um, one of the things that and that you know. That has been alluded to. Everybody said he's such a nice guy, and he really was. That's not fake. That's real. He was a really down-to-earth nice guy. 
but and I understand the need for him to tell his story without trashing anybody because you know it is his story but there seemed to be like a concerted effort and that's the only Nikki you know where we're going with this when you and I talked about this um yeah now in fairness to Sal it was more about the first book because that right, was true. like come true. on you know it's like Bruno we know no, it's well, the, first, the first book was uh, I mean there's nothing and I told Bruno this. I mean, I'm going to be very honest. I said, Bruno, the first book, not necessarily. Because keep in mind, guys, 1990, things were different. Right? Yeah, it yeah. really wasn't what it is. And, of course, the book probably got started 88, 89. But I told him, I said, this, it's not a good representation of you in any way. Um, you know, I, I, I let him know that point blank. Um, but no matter what we think of the book, and there were people who had a negative opinion of it. Many had a positive opinion, but there were people who had a negative one. But the most we heard, the complaints about the book were nothing compared to the complaints about the price of getting a book and having, you know, nobody wanted to pay $100 for a book or $75 for a book with a $25 price to get back to come to an event and pay another $20, $30 to get an autograph. Sure. And just people, you know, wrestling fans especially complain. I yeah. did anything that I did, I did a direction. There of the rewrite of the book that I did not want pulled out and quite honestly I'm not sure it needed to be pulled out. Bruno asked me to respect his wishes. I did that. Now Absolutely. I can tell you this if I had been given free reign to do what I want yeah, there would have been some different stories in the book etc. Everything in there is accurate Oh yeah and, and but, I'm not But there sound, are things me, that I would I, put in there otherwise if I, if, I, if I didn't want to respect Bruno's wishes which would never happen well, and, and Sal, I thank you for saying that, and, and I'm not at, in any way, shape, or form uh, 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 putting doubt on the uh, veracity or authenticity of the stories or the truthfulness. I know factually, factually, everything in the book is based in fact. That I know. And, be, and largely because you were at the helm. That's but what I was referring to is Bruno was always, and I think Larry will, will chime in on this too. Larry, I would love you to chime in on this. Bruno Sorry. was always very much aware of who he was. And he was always aware of the stories he told. And he always protected not only his brand and his stories, but he also protected his business. Am I am I being accurate, Larry? Yeah. Oh that's, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I mean, he believed in protecting the business because that's you know how everybody made a living was protecting the business. You know. And, you know, Angelo, this is not the first time you can go down this road. Bruno used to wear suits all the time. You know, there was a different. There was an entirely different process. Eventually, Bruno got tired of seeing everybody else coming out dressed any way they wanted to, and he said, so I'm, I'm not dressed in suits anymore. This is crazy. He said, what, what am I getting told? Everybody else is out there in blue jeans, shirts. He, he said, what do I get? He said, I'm going to look presentable, but I'm not, I'm not getting in suits anymore. And, you know, which is an interesting story about that. When Bruno was the world champion, he carried himself like a world champion around the country. I'm sure Larry, Larry would agree with that. And um, one day Vince McMahon said, hey, you know, it's great the way you, you know, you dress in a three-piece suit, especially, you know, you're talking in the 60s and everything. He said, you look like a champion. He said, 
Hey, Vince, let me ask you a question. Do I look like a world champion sitting in the tourist section of the plane? <laughs> and he said that was the very last time that he was ever in the tourist section. From then on, he flew first class all the time. Well, you know, Sometimes Sal, I guess it even to, to the point shut. when I heard, actually heard, I don't know if it was you that I heard tell the story, Sal, or whether it was someone else, but just to validate what you're saying, my my understanding, I'm trying to remember who the hell taught it. It might have been you or, my, for all I know, it might have been Bruno himself that said it. But he actually went out, and if, if, you, if you know the story, he actually went out and bought a Rolls Royce. That's a true story. Do you know the, okay, can you tell the story, please? Well, I, I don't know the details, but he's definitely discussed with me about the Roll about buying the Rolls Royce, and he felt that it really did a great job representing, you know, that wrestling was a great occupation. And, you know, look, in those days, athletes didn't make a ton of money. Bruno told me that him and Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle in the 60s were the three highest paid athletes in the world. I, I, okay, and, that uh, yes, and I remember you saying that. And, Mickey, and that's reasonable to believe, right? Yeah, no, I I remember I remember you telling uh, telling that story before. You're absolutely right. Mickey May, uh, uh, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and Bruno were the three highest paid athletes in the country. In um, those days, where, um, football players were making what ten thousand dollars a year for whatever it yeah, was, it was little, little bits of money. Yeah, they had jobs Crazy. in the off season. Yes. Yep. But the ash, I saw a photo today. Of that Rolls Royce, uh, Bruno wearing a suit, signing autographs for people surrounding his car. Um, Larry, did you ever get the ride in that car? Yeah, I rode in the Rolls, and I'll tell you a funny story. Because the, the Rolls had a cassette player, you know, those old cassettes, oh, yeah. the 8-tracks, the old 8-track players. Oh, my God. And Bruno kept, he only had one A-track, and it was the uh, Italian opera guy, Parati, or Parati, or whoever the big Italian oh, opera guy was. Yeah. And everywhere we went, Bruno would play that same, you know, A-track. So I snuck in his garage one day, and I pulled it out, because I had an A-track that looked the same, but it was Bachman-Turner Overdrive. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so we get in the car, and when we take off, and Bruno puts on the 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 radio, and instead of some operas, going, hey, you can do a business, da, 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 and, Bruno, and Bruno's going, what the hell's wrong with this thing? And you know, he doesn't know how to work it. He, he's pushing oh buttons and God. turning stuff. Pretty soon, I'm laughing my ass off, and he goes, what the hell? And he finally pulls it out and looks at it, he goes, oh, you asshole, and he throws it out the window. <laughs> and I gave him back, <laughs> I gave him back his opera tape. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, my God. Nikita, uh, you wrote the book, When It Was Real. Yes, sir. Let's talk about when it was real, my friend. Let's talk about when it was real. Let's talk about the reality uh, Bruno getting cracked over the head with a chair by our friend Mr. Zabisco and what that did to a young Nikita Brezhnikov. Before we get to that part, uh -oh. why we're all here tonight, it was the legitimacy of Bruno that made us believe. Even right. though, you know, people would talk shit about what wrestling was, everybody had their own friggin' opinion. 
we believe because we because of sincerity you can't make anybody love you can't make fans love somebody whether it's a singer an athlete an actor you either do or you don't and when you look at bruno that's why i think pedro had so much problem how the hell are you going to follow that you know yeah pedro was good with the hispanics that was wonderful but when you took him out of new york and maybe a little bit of philadelphia he wasn't yeah. going to do anything in boston uh, baltimore was more of a bobo town and you know, Bobo was Pedro Bobo. overshadowed by Bruno? Was it yes. too much too soon? It was too much. Yeah, it is. How are you going to follow that? You know, Billy Graham was great because it was yeah. giving like Larry and Tony Garea and Chief title matches. And yeah. I think Larry, you could probably say that Bruno wrestled Graham, especially at the Spectrum. They again turn away crowds because people wanted to see that bastard superstar Graham. Who stole that belt? It beat. And oh yeah, yeah, no. That you know, was uh, look, yeah. Look, Andrew, it boils down to this for me, and I'm just going to speak very, very bluntly. Bruno is the only guy that I'm aware of in this industry to not only give up the title, but threaten to walk out the door if they didn't take it away from him. As Larry indicated, he was very beat up and very hurt. The first yeah. run around and these rings of today. Um, are much different. They were working in boxing rings his first loop around. When he came back yeah. out of retirement at some point, it felt like the rings were trampolines, and he, and he basically told the guys in the back, if I had rings like this, I would have been champion for 20 years. You know? Yeah, and they exactly. had him working in, in all the B clubs and so forth. So he gives up the title twice, and facts are facts. It's just plain and simple. When all these other guys were champions, you would find Bruno many times, not only Bruno, but many times you would find Bruno added to the card as a special bonus attraction. When Bruno was yeah. a champion, you didn't see special bonus attractions. And when the old man and the kid got on the plane and flew to Pittsburgh to ask Bruno yeah. to come back, it wasn't because they were turning people away at the, at the gate. It was because they felt they had a problem. I mean, I don't care what anybody tells me. Yeah. The McMahons are not going to get on a plane and fly to Pittsburgh and, and ask a guy to come out of retirement who is not asking to come back. He's yeah. busy all around the world working his own schedule. And saying, Larry, I, I don't know what you think about what I just said, but that's my take on it. And the numbers and the, the wrestling cards and everything else, I think, support everything that I'm saying. I don't care who thought yeah. it was popular. Oh, when yeah. it's all said and done, that, those are the facts. Yeah, Bruno is so loved and so believable that, Nobody wanted to see him retire when he did, and there was no one that could follow him. And the, and the McMahons, plus their partners, Phil and them, I mean, without Bruno selling out all the big clubs, they weren't making any money. So they were kind of in a panic. You know, I mean, it. I mean, you know, I mean, do you see Bob Backlund following Bruno? Well, I want to explore <laughs> too, Larry. I want to explore that a little bit. Um, let's talk, before I do though, I want to just, and maybe Sal, you might have the answer. I know Nikki may have the answer. I've got two dates over here for Bruno's last match. One of them provided to me by Nikita Brezhnikov is part of my artwork tonight behind me. Uh, the Meadowlands in New Jersey. That's uh, Nikki, would tell me uh, the date on that and the, what the circumstances of that. October the 4th, 1981, against George Seal. That was when Bruno really retired. 
And then, you know, everything else came about years later, trying to help the son and all that other stuff. So that it was kind of right. like, you know, Sal will tell better than anybody. I don't think Bruno's heart was really 100% in it, but he did it. Yeah. But his real retirement was then, 1981. It's like, boom. Hey, without... And, and Sal, I'm... I'm I'm hearing that there was another date uh, that uh, that's being touted about as uh, Bruno's final, uh, and that is a match with of, of all people <laughs> Hulk Hogan, if you can believe that. In Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did that um, happen? Well, it was a, it was a tag match, Bruno and Hulk Hogan, and I guess I think against the one man gang, maybe in. And John Studd, I'm, I'm not positive uh, right off the top of my head. I do think the right. one-man gang was a part of it. Um, what, what happened? Well, first of all, in the Meadowlands, Bruno had promised that he would help to open the Meadowlands. And, you know, the, uh, the bottom line, like all construction, it was delayed pretty significantly. But Bruno mm -hmm. gave his word, so he hung around. And then when he left there, he got on a plane and went to Japan for 10 days. Um, when he got there, he found out instead of wrestling Baba, he was going to tag with Baba. As far as this other thing, this is the way it goes. I believe they were in Houston the night before. And Bruno, okay. they were supposedly going to Baltimore to film something. Well, what happened is uh, they never told Bruno he was booked. So when I they heard landed, that story, yeah. Yeah, when they landed, Gino told them what was going on. And because they figured, you know, Bruno and Gino were pretty close. And so they figured he would be the one to break the news. And he told them, he said, look, Gino, I'm going to do this thing. He said, but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what it is. Do not book me. I will not be there. This is it. Tonight's the night. And yeah. uh, and, and that was it. Um, you know, he, he didn't ever want to miss bookings, but he told him point blank, whether you advertise me or not, I won't be there. Yeah, I know that to be true. Uh, based on several sources. Uh, one of one was very personal. Um, so, Nikki. Yes. You've got, uh, oh, by the way, before we get to you, Nikki. Dan, the man, you've been very quiet. I want to turn it over to you for a little bit. Hey, uh, like I said, you know, I, the youngest guy on a panel of you guys reminiscing about a friend. So I didn't expect to say much. Well, you much. just got smartened up. <laughs> well, no, it, it's this. It, it's it's stuff like this. I mean, I've been a fan of wrestling that, my whole you. life, and hearing hearing all the bad, you know, the, the 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 real stories. You don't get that anywhere else, but from experience and people who were there and. and I guess my question goes, um, you guys were, were talking about the evolution and you mentioned like the, the sales and all that. Um, you, you talked about Bruno knowing he was, he, he, Angelo, you can vouch for this. We've had this question before when we were talking to like Karen McDaniel and some of those types where a lot of people sure. uh, that are famous don't, they don't, they can't wrap their head around exactly how big they are. I mean, based on yeah, ticket and sales I, you know and what, Dan, that's numbers, a really good point. That's well, a really, say, really good point. Yeah, because we've got a guy here who might know this. Larry, did Bruno understand how famous he was? You know what? As well as I knew him, and he was almost like a dad, big brother, I don't think he ever thought about that. I mean, he, he, he never thought he was above anybody or he was a big star. I mean, he, he knew the value of him drawing money, but he never thought of himself. In fact... That whole thing, you know, at the end of his career, someone wrote an article calling him the living legend. And Bruno didn't like that. He didn't like being called the living legend at the end of his career 
because he felt that was like being braggadocious. Like, you know, he was a very humble guy. You, you are know, the when I only it, person I've ever heard tell that story. Well, he told me I mean, he, he didn't like that because he didn't think of himself as above everybody else. And, yeah. And that's what people no, loved about him. He, he was one of them. Story. You know, I was definitely that humble. Story. But you're the would first travel around. I ever heard it from. Well, when we traveled around, Bruno never thought that people of a certain age, especially, would recognize him. I had him in a hotel. I don't know, maybe 2014 or whatever. Some 19-year-old kid came walking up to him, said, "Aren't you Bruno San Martino?" And I'd say, "Yeah, Bruno. It's tough when you're off TV 20 years." I, I mean, you know, because he would say this this kind of thing all the time. He really was humble, as. Uh, as Larry said, it was very interesting. Anywhere we went, he was recognized. It's uh, it's amazing that you could be cheered and screamed for the way he was, and it not really go to your head or uh, or anything like that. You know, let me tell you, when I was in high school, the people did not believe in wrestling. Most of the people there didn't believe in wrestling, and I wanted to believe in wrestling. And uh, what in the world is that? What? I have no idea the music. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to believe in wrestling, but the guys all made fun of me. And um, after Zabisco hit Bruno with the chair, when I got to school Monday morning, as soon as I arrived, people said, we know, we get it. It was real. We agree. And, you know, these guys did that so well. And then, of course, and I don't know whether Larry remembers this or not, Larry's actually, I think, the first wrestler that I really met. Square Garden through the back door, and who would know? All these years later, he'd work with me. How many times I'd referee matches with him, and how much time we'd spent together. I mean, whatever. Probably 40 years later, um, it's amazing how it comes full circle. But then we went to once they were done in Shea, then they did the B clubs, and we were in the Westchester County Center, which I'm, I'm sure Larry recollects. And the mob of people. I mean, I was still young. I was in like the 11th. The mob of people, how Larry got to the ring, I still really don't know. But I looked around and I said, if anything breaks out in this place, we have no chance here. We're dead. We are absolutely dead. There is no way out of this building with all of these people if anything goes wrong. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I've never forgotten that. We were up in the balcony. The place held 5,000 people. It was a mob scene. Watching Larry and Bruno get to the ring was unbelievable. That's how hot this thing was. All the, the matches in the garden, Shea Stadium, then all the B clubs. It, it was absolutely crazy, but it was a testament to what they did. And, you know, the story Bruno always told me is that the old man wanted to go around with it one time. And he knew that, that that was not an option. He knew that this thing could work. And look, Larry Zabisco's great heel. Are you there, sir? Yes. Huh? Yeah. Did you wake up? Everybody's here. <laughs> no, I don't wake up. I, I, I listen to you guys. I'm tired to all the, the thing in, the, in, the, <laughs> in my hands. Well, I'll tell uh, you what. Well, why don't we do this? Dominic, let me uh, let me say good night to you. Um, okay. Uh, call okay. me call me one. You know, I have a ten guy there because <laughs> that, that makes me tired. I'm, to, uh, I, to I, listen, I, you know. I'll tell you what. Dominic, I will give you a call tomorrow. Uh, thank you for joining us, okay? All right. All right, my friend. God bless. Good night, Good night Tom. Tom.
And so I, I, I want to tell one more Larry Zabisco story here. Um, Angela, you're still there, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. All right. So I used to drive up and down the phone. I mean, up and down the phone, up and down the road with Sting every now and then. And it was about 1989. Larry was, I believe, the Western States Heritage Champion. I was refereeing a lot of his matches. And I was trying to explain to Sting, a guy who came from the West Coast, didn't really understand what happened on the East Coast. He'd heard about the angle. But in his mind, it was not that big of a deal anymore. It had been nine years ago, et cetera. And I said, Steve, you don't really know what you're talking about on this. I'm just telling you. When we get to that Civic Center in Philadelphia tonight, these people are going to drive him nuts. And, of course, the people are screaming. It's an NWA show. Bruno's nowhere to be seen. And these people are screaming, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno. And eventually Larry would go down to ringside and grab the mic and say, Bruno sucks. <laughs> and the people would just go nuts. And I would oh, tell Bruno the stories later on, and he just laughed his ass off. But I was trying to explain, here it is nine years later, and Larry's in a different company. Bruno's name is not even really discussed, and they're out there screaming for him. I mean, do you understand that the, the idea that an angle carried forward nine years? And I went to Sting after the match, and I said, Steve, you heard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you couldn't miss it anyway. The whole thing was just crazy. But that was the power. You don't, you don't hear that today. An angle is nine years old. The guys had ten angles by then. It's finished. This angle was probably the hottest angle in the Northeast, if not the hottest angle, certainly of the modern times. Some things in the 50s and oh, 60s. Oh, no question about but, it, Sal. Absolutely. It was, it was absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, I don't know that I ever told Larry that story, but that's a true story, and I won't forget it because yeah. Sting was just trying to convince me, Sal, I understand what it was, but it was a long time ago. It's over. I said, no, yeah. it's not really over. No. And, uh, yeah. you know, quite honestly, there were times there was talk about bringing Bruno and Larry back. Um, one, in the Met, when, when the NWA was not drawing in the Meadowlands, to my understanding, there was discussion about it, and um, Bruno was willing to do it. And it never happened. Um, and I asked some questions. Believe me, I asked questions. And, of course, nobody yeah. wants to take responsibility. But my personal belief is that if they had done what Bruno wanted, put Larry on TV, give Bruno four weeks of television, these guys at the time were drawing maybe four, five, six thousand people into the Meadowlands. My personal yeah. belief is they sell the place out, hands down. And sometimes I don't know that somebody would have wanted that success. Right, because you're yeah. going in there with all your big guns. Here's a guy who's working your mid card with a guy who's been retired for eight or nine years, and they're going to sell the place out. And, I, and some yeah. tell that that success would have not been very welcome. No, I hear you, brother. You hit the nail on the head, Sal. They don't want that. They don't want you to remember. They want you to take today's bullshit that they shoved down people's throats they didn't want that yeah well that that's a you know what nikki that's a subject for another show revisionist history yes but uh, talking yeah. about one thing about the great bruno one thing you can never take away here's a guy that gets no broken neck april 26th of 1976 two months later june 26th he's wrestling and saves the company if he didn't yeah. come back that debacle with Ali and Inoki, it would have destroyed the oh, company. Horrible. Sal, we, you, horrible. you had the book, and I believe that's true. If he didn't come we, back, he would have folded. We, we, uh, me and Bruno discussed this story so many times I can't even tell you 
he, um, the doctor hung up on the old man. Eventually, they yeah. got Bruno on the phone. There was, there was a lot that went on there. Bruno got to the arena. He gave he gave Hanson nothing. He couldn't because any any movement whatsoever to his neck could have put him in very serious jeopardy. Yeah, he, um, the next day, he got back on the plane. It was a long time before he saw Hanson again. He apologized. But to be honest with you, the way Bruno tells the story, and I'll confirm it with Stan next time I talk to him, which should be very soon. Um, at the time, Stan had the biggest payoff he ever had in the business, so he really didn't care what Bruno did, um, you know, yeah. at the time. And, of course, he probably felt bad for the whole thing anyway, that they were in the position they were in. But it is true that he was going to go broke. The, the closed circuit, nothing. There was no business being done. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, look, Bruno, I think, saved the company a couple of times. I mean, it's just... It's yeah. just that simple. So, you know, look, at the end, it all turned out. Um, a lot of good things happened for a lot of people. Bruno made people's careers. How Larry, JJ, Dominic, um, he got, you know, the truth be told, Bruno was a tremendous input to the talent yeah. for himself, oh, yeah. uh, you, you know, and, and, and all kinds of things like that. And uh, But he had to see something in you. Yeah. But, you know, he, he when he wanted to bring Bobby Duncan in, the old man said, Bruno, I never heard of this guy. So what's the difference, Vince? I have. I show the guy yeah, sure. we can make money with this guy. Let's bring him in. So yeah. he would do it. And But Bruno said one thing. He said, Sal, they listen to a couple of your suggestions. If they fail, they ain't listening to you no more. The only reason they kept listening to me because what I kept telling them was, was working. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's well, true. Well, Sal, I'll tell you what, brother. There's a, probably another book in you somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but tonight, I have to say goodnight to you. Thank you, my no, friend, for joining us. No, we no worries. We, we're, we, Nikki and I are going to have you back on. Uh, we're going to bring you on for our uh, uh, a show that I do with Nikita called The Writer's Room. And uh, our last guest went over swimmingly well. That was Scott Teal. And uh, uh, so uh, we got the, we'll line up maybe Sal Carrenti. How about it, Nikki? What do you think? Absolutely. Have you to think do we it. can Sal, convince Sal this guy to come back on? Yes. Um, sure. Whenever, whenever you guys want, Larry. It's always, uh, always good visiting with you. Hopefully, we'll cross paths in person soon. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it's fun Saturday. Yeah, anytime, Sal. Let me know. All righty. You, you guys take uh, it easy, thank and you, uh, Sal. I'll give you a holler. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good night, bye, brother. Bye. Take care. I'll tell you what. That guy has been so generous with his time. Absolutely. So it's just, uh, just, guy, yeah. just us girls here, Lar. Well, you got a few minutes left. I think my battery's dying. Oh, <laughs> <We're beat. laughs> I'm sorry, Larry. Well, I'll tell you what. We uh, we're, we're I saved the best for last. I, I didn't want to. I certainly didn't want to cut you off earlier in the conversation. You know, you. How often do you get like the new living legend on your podcast? You know. It, like, hardly ever happens. Yeah, well, you know, it was weird because, like I said, Bruno really didn't like it being used because he thought it was braggadocious and he was a humble guy. But, you know, after I turned on him and I called myself, I'm a new living legend. I was, like, 27. It just made people hate me more. But yeah, then I after know. After <laughs> 30 years of saying it and then the 10 years of broadcasting, I kind of grew into the part. You so certainly did, I, brother, and you earned every I, damn bit of it, sir. <laughs> I still got it. But if it wasn't for Bruno, I might have never gotten the big break. So. Well, I'll tell you what. I uh, Just for the record, I want to 
validate a story that Sal told. I was at the Civic Center that night when you said Bruno sucks. I was there. <laughs> front row, center, ringside, brother. I bought the whole front row. And I had my uh, my work with me. I brought, I treated everybody from work. <laughs> and we all got the razz on Larry Zabisco. So, Larry, um, celebrating his birthday, uh, bittersweet for you? Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it, to me, it's like Bruno is still here because he's you know, just so much, you know, in my life. And sometimes I'll go to my phone and scroll down to, to get a number and I'll ask, you know, Bruno's name and number and I'm going, son of a bitch, I can hear his, I can still hear his voice. And, yeah. Well, know. brother, I'll tell you what, this podcast experienced something like that too. We had a, I actually had a, a co-host before Dan the Man they called Jeff the Ref. Jeff passed away um, over a weekend. And uh, and I still do that. I scroll through my phone. I still see his number. But the magic of videotape and shows is that I can go back and watch him and I can listen to his voice. And I can do that with Jeff the ref. And I can do that with Bruno. And and I yeah, watch you. And, yeah, and I was, yeah. I was able to watch you and Bruno today. And I remembered those times. And, you know, when... In fact, after I watched that the famous chair shot heard around the world, I picked up Nikita's book when it was real and read about. And I thought I want to I want to ask some questions tonight because I got this I got that summer gun there. So. <laughs> Go ahead, Nikki. Larry, I got to tell you, it would have never worked had you not sold it. It takes two to tango. There's no way in hell Larry Zabisco was going to go in there and out-muscle Bruno, out-wrestle Bruno. The way you played cat and mouse, wouldn't let him catch up with you, hit him in the balls and run. It, it was beautiful. And you get out there and bullshit, talk on the, the promos, big mouth, ragdocious guy, and then you run all around the ring. It's like It was driving us crazy. We couldn't wait for him to get a hold of it. You know what? That's one thing I learned from the old timers from Bruno and Strongbow and Monsoon and all the guys. The one thing I've learned is even if people say, oh, wrestling, but they believed in Bruno. They, you know, they, and the one thing I learned was to make them believe in me. And no matter what they thought, even during the 80s and 90s when they were chanting boring and laughing at the new guys, people believed that in real life I was an asshole. And they hated me. I could go out and stand in the ring for five minutes, do nothing in the place of we can't. Larry sucks. And that was, you know, yeah. yeah you know what? I, honest to God, I, I wish, you know, Larry, you just said something that, that popped me and it reminded me. I wish to God that, that Davey O'Hannon would have called in tonight. Um, man, yeah, was I haven't talked to Davey in years. Yeah. He lives like 20 minutes from me. Um, because Davey said something, and I watched it. I want to talk to you about it because I popped. Um, Davey will always say, and Dan the man will, will, will vouch for me on this. Davey always says, the people believed because we believed. They believed that what we did was real because we believed what we did was real. Yep. 
Yeah. And that's the key. And that's yep. the key. But there was an interview that Bruno is now imagine this. This is Bruno interviewing Davy O'Hannon. And I you just first of all, you have to see the visuals. It's fucking hilarious. Pardon my French. It's <laughs> hilarious. And I forget what Bruno says to Davy, but Davy turns around and says, well, excuse me, Mr. San Martino, and you just could see Bruno trying not to bust character because he looked like he wanted to bust out <laughs> laughing because, you know, because Davey and Bruno were, were dear friends in life and just the, the visual of Bruno almost losing it in this, in this video was priceless because he never broke character ever. So that leads me to the question. Well, never Has he ever broken character with you? I mean, personally? No, I mean, in, you know, working. Oh, no, no, no. That was sacred. That was sacred. You never break character. Well, I'll tell you what, brother. We are going to have you back for your own episode. Um, well, give me a that... call sometime and we'll figure something out. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're poor here, but we buy people dinner. <laughs> I told Dan the man, our bud our budget is a bag of chips and a bottle of Yoohoo. <laughs> yeah. Now we'll it's take it. Well, uh, hey, I mean, it's Bruno's birthday. God bless him. And uh, again, I mean, and, and even when I think about it, it was so weird, Angelo. I mean, the first time I ever met Bruno was in that little church. And the last time I was by his side was at the funeral in that same little church. Yeah. It was just it was just too strange, you know, not to come from a higher dimension of something yeah. that was meant to be. And the last time I got to spend time with too, Larry. It's a bunch of Catholics, so we understand. We get it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the last time I got, I actually got to spend time with him was at Bruno San Martino Day in Swedesboro, New Jersey. They honored him with a, a citation, and I sat down and had lunch with him, and we had lunch and dinner that day. Um, my mentor and friend Larry Sharp provided the wrestling for the day with the, his students. Yeah, and, the monster uh, factory. Yeah, Larry was my, uh, was my trainer. My, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew Larry good. He was a good guy. We had fun together. Yeah, Larry, he was a I tell you, talking about characters. Another one, last of the old time characters. Yeah. Brother, I'm going to let you go. Uh, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much well, for any, joining us. Anytime, guys. And Bruno, happy birthday. Yeah, yeah I know happy he's birthday, listening. sir. Larry, take care, my friend. I'll give you a holiday tomorrow. Okay, Ant. Thank you. Yeah. Good night, Larry. Larry Zabisco, everybody. Love you, well, gentlemen, that was epic. Absolutely. Stellar, ginormous. That was yeah. uh, an extravaganza. That was what, excitement personified. Nikki, give me an adjective. You're a writer. Wow. There you and, go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you, I still you can't were. believe I'm a friggin' writer, okay? But it's like, wow. I mean, I know. Larry, the Bisco, birthday, that's it. Boom, you got it.
And Dominic Danucci, JJ. You, you realize you had, I mean, and no, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm you right had, back. Keep talking. I'm not exaggerating. You had, I mean, Nikita, you had 400 years of wrestling experience on the phone right there between yeah. those guys. Without a doubt. And that's, yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the biggest names in the history of the business and every one of them either either got into wrestling or started loving wrestling or became a fan because of the same person it's you know it i hate i hate not to not to sound like i'm gonna get off topic but it reminds me of oh look there's the book it, it reminds I me to of get nikki's book oh a, a, thank you Ed. A, a panel i was at years ago and it was a bunch of of mildly like successful stand-up comedians and every one of them got their start because of Rodney Dangerfield. And it was crazy to hear that story. And it's the same thing with these guys. I mean, I, you know, you, you, JJ Dillon, like I'm, I'm 37 to me, he's been around forever. And he's talking when I was a teenager and I went and saw Bruno and Larry Zabisco break, literally you know, breaking into his house to, to sneak through some bushes just to get a word yeah, with him. Breaking, how, did, how did you meet your hero breaking and entering? <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, he talked, you know, the, the first two experiences he had with him, he stalked him at a church and then he broke into his house. Like, exactly. That's that is fan dedication, and and to think you know Larry Zabisco, I'm like I said, I'm not even forty. He's been the living and legend. That story's probably in Nikki's book somewhere. Oh, <laughs> he's he's been the living legend since since I was a kid, and he talks about being a teenager training with Bruno in his basement. Like yes. you know, I I I remember watching the tapes, and I mean Bruno, you mentioned his last match was in '81. I I wasn't even alive. I was watching Bruno on TV. He was in his fifties running circles around guys, you know, t guys 30 years, 20, 25, 30 years younger than he was. Exactly. You don't, I mean, well, look at the, some of the pictures behind you, Angelo, how, how Bruno's in his forties in most of those photos. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll step back Everybody look. was a fan before they became a pro because right. they loved it. They loved it. You have to love it. It's got to be in your heart or you can't do it. Yeah, you don't you don't see wrestlers that look like this anymore. No, you really don't. And you know, oh. it's it's funny what Larry Zabisco mentioned. Well, how they he he trained under Bruno's regiment, and he's right. They have almost identical physiques, and you would never yeah. have thought that's why because they trained. He trained the Bruno regiment. He he, Bruno trained Larry the way Bruno trained. Exactly. They looked like they looked like they could have been related. Brother, without they, a doubt, yes. Yeah. Or father and son, because even Vince mentions it a lot on the broadcast, especially yeah. in 1977. He said Bruno, or Larry Zabisco emulates Bruno. He even resembles him physically, his characteristics, yeah. his mannerisms, and it's true. It's very true. Well, How well, Larry win matches, bear hug, you know, he would do the suplex too, but the bear hug a lot, mm -hmm. one of Bruno's trademarks, of course. The book is When It Was Real. The author is my friend, my cohort in crime, my sometimes co-host when Dan is working, uh, <laughs> Nikita Brezhnikov. Nikki, yes. Yes, this sir. is the book. Buy it. I got mine. Get yours. You ain't getting mine. I poured my heart out. I'll, that's all I can say. I put everything in there. I got to tell you something. It's it, about the, us. us as and men. I have to tell uh, you something. I popped. I popped on like page Two, okay, I'm going to tell you why. You've got something in here, unless you're from New Jersey, 
you don't know this place. I had, I lived my childhood in this building, the Cherry Hill Arena. Ah, there you go. Okay, now, let me tell everybody what the Cherry Hill Arena was. It was the home of the New Jersey Devils hockey team when they were still a farm club before they became an actual NHL team. Wow. It was called the uh, Cherry Hill Arena. And that was the first time I ever got to, like, slap a wrestler. The guy coming through the aisle was Chief J. Strongbow. Ooh. He, he wrestled. Who the hell did he wrestle that night? Oh, my God. Um... Oh, my God. Who the hell did the Chief wrestle? Shit. No, that wasn't it. Um, I'm trying to remember who Chief wrestled. But I remember he, he won. He beat whoever he was wrestling. He came down the aisle. And you know how people, they, they do like one of these jobs? When you, mm -hmm. you know, I, got the, I got a big, sweaty Italian-Indian pop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the chief was a a, a wooden nickel Indian, you know. He was his one mother of was Kumbas. his mother was legit Cherokee though. Isn't that something? Yes. Oh, yes. His uh, a Scarpa, right? Was Italian. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because yeah. he was uh, Joe Scarpa down south, uh, you know, before he came. But Monsoon brought him up, and just said, yeah. you know, look, the old man wants to, you know, do those Indian characters. So chief was like, yeah, yeah, you know, boom, and that was yeah. it. He was into it, man. Well, and he was working for Eddie Graham down there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a great career before WWWF. And then it was just like like it was said, most guys' careers are winding down at that time. His took I off. I know. You know. Oh, my God. His, his took off. Are you kidding me? Holy crap. Dan, you, uh, yes, you got a lesson in history, a wrestling history lesson. Oh, yes, sir. Um, and a lesson on Bruno. Now, um, in the interest of full disclosure, I have been a Bruno fan since I was like six. And that never went away. I never liked the John Wayne or Cowboys and Indians. Um, not that I didn't watch Cowboys and Indians or John Wayne, but I'd much rather watch wrestling and Bruno beat people up. So that was my childhood, and I, uh, I got to live my dream, and I got to meet my heroes, and a lot of people, and I feel bad for kids today, because Nikki, they don't have any heroes to uh, look up to. Nobody and, they can believe in, no. And you no, and, and I, and, uh, and to some degree, Dan, yes, we, were, we were able to look up to our heroes, and in some cases, meet our heroes. Yeah, they were. You know, they you were... look at. That look at life. Dan. Look behind Dan. He's got a wall full of his heroes there. And there's Bruno right there. Yep. First one next to Ronnie Garvin. First of all, you need to rearrange those pictures, young man, because uh, Ivan Koloff should clearly go next to Bruno. I should swap Bruno and uh, Ronnie. You get, yeah, you, no, you got it. Bruno stays on the, the end because okay. that's the leadership position. Yeah, that's why I put him on the on Ronnie first. Garvin over, put Ivan Koloff side by side with Bruno, put Ronnie Garvin over where uh, maybe where Greg Valentine is. Okay. 
on the opposite end. Okay? Gotcha. That's good. I know. Uh, you do that, I'm happy. You're, you're not as big a fan <laughs> of the Garvin brothers as I was growing up. There you go. <laughs> or the Garvin boys, I should say, not the brothers. Excuse me. Yeah, right? I don't think we had as much of a, a taste of them. Like, of course, the Northeast had up oh until Hulkamania. I mean, the Northeast ruled. And, of oh, course, yeah. Bruno ruled. So that, that was it. So then, you know, Backlund, can Backlund carry for Bruno? No. But he's a, a separate entity. He's mm -hmm. his kind of a person. You know, people say, well, then they brought Bruno in. But, well, actually, it was Bruno and Larry carrying on their feud, which was taking off. Because then for a lot of the matches when Bruno was wrestling Zabisco in the garden when that first hit, then they would throw the Samoans to Backlund, which yeah. not to little the Samoans. They were a tremendous team. But as singles, oh, sure. it wasn't like big going to be selling out the arena. So you could put Backlund with one of the Samoans, he, which he did back-to-back -back when Larry and Bruno were carrying. So Absolutely. really, they were the main of that night. No you know, the key to you mentioned something a minute ago. Dan and I actually had this conversation. In fact, Dan asked a, a previous guest. I think, Dan, it might have been Doc Diamond that we had on. Um, he asked Doc Diamond, I think the gist of his question was, what is it about the Northeast that generates so many great wrestlers. Why do they all come from here? It, was that the gist of it, Dan? Yeah, yeah. He was talking about the 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 tri the, the 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 triangle. He talked about New Jersey, Philly, New York, like that that area. And it was literally just name, 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 name. And again, I was a little biased, you know, living in Maryland at the time. But the, half the Hall of Fame is from some combination of New York, New Jersey, and. Uh, I was just I was asking him what is it about that area that just churned out not just so much talent but so many wrestlers in general fans without a doubt it's the passion of the fans and Nikolai when he came to this country settled in Paulsboro New Jersey so yeah. there you go another part of that nucleus but yes it's the fans because yeah. without the fans you're not going to have shit everybody's going to fold their tents and they're going to go away yeah. The fans have so much passion, not to knock the people in the South or Canada or anywhere else, but that tri-state area in Maryland, I was a Baltimore boy then, mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. like, you know, people, like Mrs. Krieger, you know, Angela, you remember her, of course, and she oh, was God, sure. She was from Baltimore, but she would take the train up to New York, yeah. my wife asked me one time, she said, how come we never see her on the TV tape, because I said she couldn't get there, there was no yeah. train to Philadelphia, and then what the hell is she going to do to get to Market Street? But New York, she could take the train. Straight then, up. Yeah, get right out to the garden. Yeah. So it's right there. So she did not miss that. Yeah. And, and the passion of the fans is what drives, and again, like I said, everybody was a fan before they became a, I shouldn't say everybody, but I'm going to say 99% were wrestling fans before they became pros. And that just carries on, and that emotion's just going to pour out of you. And yeah. you've got you've got a winning combination. Can't now, Dan, did you hear what what Nikki just said? Now, re remember something that superstar Bill Dundee told us, and and you were surprised that to for him to validate this. And I, Nikki, he just I was telling our young squire here uh, about a woman, an old lady. That was front and center at every Memphis Mid South 
wrestling show. Like clockwork, she was there every Monday night. Now, we had superstar Bill Dundee on the show, and he remembered, and Dan got a lesson in these old school characters that used to be fans. Part of the the, the, the fan, the, uh, the Marks Brigade. We were gonna, right. What, I guess, is that still a, a thing now, Marks? Or are yeah, we no, all, you're, like, you're right. Up I, now? You know, I, I, I think about think about it as like a, as a Redskins fan. You know, we had the Hogs. They they were yeah. they weren't affiliated with the team, but they were they were as big a character on the sidelines as watching exactly. Reagan and those guys play. And that's where, where Nikki's going. Some of these fans became celebrities. It was crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, see, give wait, you another wait. example, Nikki. I'll give you a perfect example. The Hat Guy from ECW. Yeah, I've wrestled against Hat Guy. Oh, I love him. I love John. He's a great guy. John's, John's a, good, a character. Yes, he is. I he and his partner Waikushi uh, wrestled Nikolai and I several times for Dino Sana. But oh, you know, with Miss Krieger, a lot of so-called know-it-all say, "Oh, she was paid to be in the audience." It's like, are you a simple son of a bitch? You lucky <laughs> the promoters pay the friggin' boys. They ain't gonna pay some old lady to sit at ringside. That's great. <laughs> it, it's spontaneous, but they sure as hell ain't gonna give her a dime to do that. It's like right. that's a sideshow. They don't give a shit about that. It just it happened naturally. She was not paid. Yeah. Good, Danny. No, um, I mean that's it's crazy to think like you don't you don't kind of get those characters, um, not in the fandom anymore. And you, you talk about uh, earlier you had mentioned looking up to wrestlers and being fans. Um, I think the current product, uh, John Cena, kind of became a, a a model citizen of sorts with his involvement with the Make a Wish Foundation. He's got yeah. the record by hundreds of visits. And even that's like, oh, you know, make a wish. He's a good guy. He's doing charity. It's still not the same. You know, it's still not that that broad spectrum reverence. I mean, you, but wait you, a minute. Even wait if a minute. wait a minute, Rocky Johnson was involved in that back in 1983, but he didn't get the big fanfare. He was right. well, that's, a wish. That's yeah. that's what I was what I was going to get to is if you look at the list, the top ten uh, from Make a Wish. Uh, Half of them are wrestlers. It's anybody, most of the people over two hundred are are wrestlers. But you know, you you it's it, you also. I mean, you, you think back like you, know, you grab somebody off the street, even if they're not a wrestling fan. Oh, wrestling! That, that's that thing that 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 Bruno San Martino guy does. You know, you ask a random person on the street who John Cena is, you, they probably they couldn't pick him out of a lineup with a gun to their head half the time. Not not to say he's not a star. But right. he doesn't have that that across the world appeal. There was a point here's the ticket problem, sales Dan. with numbers. Here's oh, I'm the sorry, problem. Go ahead. The, here, the, here's the biggest, and I'm gonna I'm gonna validate what you're saying, but I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you the reason they couldn't pick John Cena out. He's unrecognizable out of his element. You put him in a ring, and he's recognizable. Okay. Very good. He's he's recognizable. You take John Cena out of his element and, you know, send him down a street corner, uh, Main Street, USA, any city, right? You would be hard-pressed to find 20 people who could say, oh, that's John Cena, the WWE wrestler. Very good. But back in the day, 
send Bruno San Martino down the street, everyone could pick him out. Everyone. They knew he was a wrestler because he looked like a wrestler. And that's validated because he couldn't go anywhere without being mobbed. He couldn't go to the grocery store. Exactly. But the other thing, Nikki, is look at him. He looked like you said it yourself. He looked like a gorilla. Yes. A a very dear friend of mine, Scott Wilson, said he was watching Bruno sign autographs outside of uh, Long Island's Nassau County Coliseum. He said he's in a suit. He's got a. He said that jacket. He said it was the buttons were bursting. He sweats <laughs> pouring off because it's July. But he's signing the autographs. But he's like he was so huge. It's like yeah, yeah. without a doubt he he was a, and, he had shoulders that were like his shoulders right. were massive. And he, he had the reason I, I I speak with tears. He gave his body. His hands were all gnarled up at the end. Oh, his yeah. ears, his nose. I mean, it's like this guy gave everything he had to the business. Yeah. And Sal pointed out something critically important. They had boxing matches. They were taking back flat back bumps on boxing matches, uh, uh, canvases. Yeah. yeah. Okay. A- Those boxing rings, they didn't have any center spring. They yeah. were flat. Yeah, they, they weren't designed to fall on. Yes, Davey. No, oh, that, he'll that's tell exactly they cursed, right. They cursed the Baltimore Civic Center. They said that was a slab of cement. That was horrible. Please yeah, don't. Yeah, well, I got news for you. No, thank the, you. The two rings, and we've Dan and I have, have heard this before on the show. The two rings, Baltimore and the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, because that ring was concreted in place. Yeah. Am I lying, Dan? No, not in the slightest. No, and, and that's concreted in place. Yeah, it, that it's thing like had no give. It's like getting tackled on grass versus getting tackled on astroturf. Yeah, you, you you know the difference. Exactly. And and, and people don't want to do it. And a fall well, out of the ring in Baltimore, it was a little bit higher than normal. So it's like, son of a bitch, I got to take a bump out of the ring. I'm going <laughs> way up, and then I got to worry about the landing when I get down at the bottom. Yeah. Those poor guys. Mm. Yeah. And I heard I heard superstar Billy Graham tell a story about the night that he beat Bruno for the title. He almost didn't get out of that building. I don't, people don't realize that's a shoot. He almost didn't get out of that building alive. He had to use the belt as like a helicopter blade, like a whirly bird. <laughs> Am I lying, Nikki? No, no. Because for months, well, up until Backlund won, we hated to have it told that he beat Bruno. He cheated in Baltimore, and we had to have that black eye. That's where the hell Bruno lost his belt to that son of a bitch. We hated that. <laughs> exactly. Hey, what? Angie? And it's in the book. You'll probably read it. He almost didn't win the belt that night. It, there was almost a horrible accident. He came out of the ring, and there was an empty chair, and his foot went through it. Luckily, yes. he landed right. You can yep. see that in the video. That could have been a disaster right there. Oh, man. His leg easily. Yeah. Straight up. Dan, what's going on with Wrestling with the Future? Where are we? Well, we've got, uh, obviously, this was a big build-up show. We've got couple of bigger names coming up. I know you you were talking with uh hang, hang on, let me get the uh schedule here. Yes, we sir. Just, we've got uh our part second part uh interview with uh, Eddie Mansfield. 
Yep. On Thursday. And we've still got uh, – hang on. Let me get the rest of these names. Yeah, we've got uh, the two-part with Eddie Mansfield. You mentioned uh, Brian Pillman Jr. is coming back. We've got yep. uh, another visit from our favorite music lover and, and music manager – and uh, Plim uh old, old Mr. Plim, his uh, Mr. Plim will be here. Absolutely. Uh, yep. We've got um, the return of uh, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud is coming back. Uh, we may have a very special and I, I'll tell you now, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, that's OK. But we are in communication with John McAfee. Nice. You know who John McAfee is? No. He invented McAfee antivirus. It's probably that, on your computer right now. I have that. Wow. Yeah, he, he, he's transitioned into a uh, libertarian politician as well. Wow. We, we, are, we are communicating. So far, he hasn't told me to go F myself. But he well, likes to up. do that. <laughs> But we are we are reaching out. I'm trying to get John McAfee here. I'll just say that. So if it doesn't happen, at least we tried. Anyway, um, who else? Oh yes, you said Eddie Mansfield's coming back. We uh, we've got oh God, who else do we got? I gotta look at my book because there's a couple couple of people here. We got some people coming. Um, uh, yes, yeah, oh here we go. Yes. Mr. Electricity Stephen Regal will be joining us, and Steve Kern will be here. Um, looks like the end of October, early November for Steve Kern. Uh, November. Um, I don't know what's happening at November. It all depends on what happens on November 3rd, and then I'll tell you November 4th. <laughs> But wait a minute, Ange, whatever happened to Ann Casey? I got I want to be with that show. When are we going to have Ann Casey? I have had communications with Ann Casey, and she tells me yes, and she tells me yes. And every time she says yes, her spokesperson, and I'll give you his name in case you know the guy. Uh, I'll give it to you off the air. Her spokesperson, or who says he's her spokesperson, keeps canceling her out. Hmm. There's a problem there with, with. I don't, I, I don't want to say anymore on the air. I'll tell you. I'm off, saying that because there's a there's a couple of people who say they're running this group or what. Anyway, yeah, I don't even want to get into that. that. Happen. She's she'd be a great guest. I would. I'm having the women back. I'm having Joyce Grables coming oh, back. Oh, Joyce, very good. Yeah. I got, I'm having uh, uh, Casey Carlisle's coming back. Uh, Princess Victoria, Lani Kai, Velvet and Vicky. You'd have them both on together. That'd be great. Oh, I would love to. Um, got uh, uh, Lani Kai, Judy Martin's coming back. You know, uh, they've all been here. They've all been here before. Multiple times. Mm -hmm. And Casey's the only one for some reason. I don't know why, but this person keeps canceling her out. I'll find and that. I don't know if they have the authority to, but I'm assuming they do. That's why Let's I haven't see. said anything. Let's see. 
Okay. So, Nikki, why don't you tell everybody what's going on with you? Where can they uh, reach you, c communicate with you, buy your book? Facebook. <clears throat> I'm always there. We're just waiting for the cloud to lift with the COVID, and then we can get back to wrestling and acting and everything else. But for the book, uh, crowbarpress.com, Scott Teal's beautiful company. And there is a Kindle version on Amazon when it was real. And please, the only thing I'm going to say is nobody's getting rich. That wasn't the idea. But it tells the story of what it was about when it was real. How we as fans loved it. And still do. Absolutely. And I will tell everyone that we are here for the long haul. We have some amazing guests coming up. Where else? Where are you going to see a show preserve the rich history of wrestling other than wrestling with the future on one show? Think about tonight's show on one show. The man who wrote the definitive book on Bruno, the autobiography of wrestling's living legend, Sal Carrenti. That's that's just that's one that was worth a, a show by himself. Then you've got J.J. Dillon, Dominic Danucci. Larry Zabisco, Nikita Brezhnikov, Dan the freaking man. Okay, we're we're well, I mean, that's the heart and soul of the show right there. I'm telling you, brother. And then you get to look at my face for two hours. All right? You the man, though, and you the man. I try, brother. I try. For wrestling with the future, for Dan the man. For Nikita Brezhnikov, I'm Angelo DiCipio. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye.